Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel. I read all the way to verse number 14 from the NKJV version of the Bible. So the Bible says that then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. (laughs) He had a rooftop terrace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. The woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. That's the New King James way of saying that I am pregnant. Then David sent to Job, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord, Joab, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live... And as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, when David called him rather, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but did not go down to his house. In the morning, It happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Wow. Deep stuff. I want to start by just reminding some of you, if you're not, you know, if you're new to our church, you probably have never heard this story before. If you're not new, you probably heard it at some point or the other, that back in the day, all right, before I met the Lord, I used to be a club promoter. Um, That was one of my my first business that I ever started, (laughs) believe it or not. At the tender age of 17 and a half going on 18 was I had a business partner, a good friend of mine, and we were club promoters. That's what we did for business. Uh, We organized parties, we threw parties around events and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere along the line, At the age of 20, I had just graduated from university. Um, I had just turned 20 and had just graduated from university. I met the Lord. 
This was in May of the year 2005. Now I've been in church my entire life and you know, had, I knew how to speak the language of church. I knew how to speak Christianese. All right? I knew how to act in church. I knew all the Bible stories because I grew up in church. My parents took us to church every single Sunday. They tried to raise us and they did raise us in the way of the Lord. But I believe that until you come to have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're not saved. All right. So your parents can do the best that they can to put you on the right course, but they cannot <laughs> achieve salvation for you. You have to achieve that for yourself. So thankfully, I had all the background. I was serving in church. As a matter of fact, I was in church. I was already serving in church. I was already leading teams in church. But I came to the harsh realization that I... I have never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I'd never made him Lord over my life. So I made a decision. One faithful Sunday in May of 2005, I said, I surrender my life to Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. You're going to be my Lord. Amen. All that awesome stuff. That was an amazing day. Now, as soon as that had happened, it happened to me a few weeks and months after, there was a conflict in my heart between the life I was living and the life I wanted to live. I knew I wanted to live for Jesus. I knew I wanted to please the Lord, but I was still struggling. I had this other life that I had before that kept pulling me back, all right? And so I struggled to break off from the whole, whole club scene, all right? And I'm not condemning you if you're still in the club scene. I'm just telling you my personal story, all right? I tried to break off because something in me felt like that, that wasn't the life that I should live in anymore, all right? And so I tried to break it off and 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 I would, I would try and, and, and I... I I do believe that I'm someone who has a fairly decent, you know, amount of willpower. When I say I want to do something, I tend to follow through. And so I'll tell my friends, you know what? I'm done. I'm never going to the club again with you guys. Okay. Because I'm now a born again Christian. I'm a child of the Lord. Amen. And it seemed as if everyone but me understood that that was just a joke. All right. And so I would go. And after I go and come out of the club, I come out of the club, maybe it's 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm just like, oh, God, never again. I promise God this is the last time. It will never happen again. And then two weeks later, I find myself back there. And I come out and I'm like, I, I swear, God, no way. This is the last time. It would never happen. You know, but I had this back and forth relationship. I, I struggled is what I'm trying to say. Struggled greatly. You know, I say, Lord, if I ever come to a club, if I ever come within 10 feet of a club, just kill me, kill me. But <laughs> thankfully, God was very gracious. He did not kill me. But over time, of course, I was able to, you know, win myself of that life and actually gain victory over that situation. But it was that tension, that tension of I love you, Lord, and I want to please you, but I'm struggling to live right. I don't know if that's familiar territory for anyone. I don't know if some of you have ever been there before where there is that tension of, God, I love you. I really do. I, my heart does want to please you, but I'm just struggling. I'm having a hard time living the life that I want to live. Amazing. That tension was there. But Paul, Paul the Apostle, so eloquently articulates this tension in the book of Romans chapter 7 and verse number 15. And I want to read to you from that verse. And then, you know, we'll take off from there today. Romans 7 and verse 15 in the New Living Translation, he says, I don't really understand myself. <laughs> I feel like Paul was observing my life when I was going through that phase in 2005, the second half of 2005. Because I look myself in the mirror and say, I don't really understand myself. Why am I struggling to let go of this thing so much. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. This is Paul the apostle speaking, by the way. He says, for I want to do what is right, 
but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. If you skip on to verse number 19, same chapter, Romans 7, he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. All right, that's that tension. Keep going. He says that, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle. What's the principle? That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law. I love the Lord. I really do love him. My heart loves the Lord. With all my heart, he says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Then he goes on to say in verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. Oh, what a miserable. And that was exactly how I felt back then. I was miserable. You know, the Passion Translation says that what an agonizing situation I am in. <laughs> it's an agonizing situation. The New King James says, oh, what wretched man, you know, that I am and all that. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This was the tension that Paul felt, the same one I felt. So when I read this many years ago, I felt like, you know, Paul was a kindred spirit that he wanted to please the Lord. He wanted to do all the right things, but he was struggling. He was struggling. I'm here to talk to those who are struggling today because today we are talking about the controversial topic of sin of sin, as a matter of fact, with an emphasis on sexual sin, on sexual sin. And so it's going to be very practical, very practical. And if you need to give a topic today, just call it the slippery slope, the slippery slope. Um, <laughs> that's the topic for this morning, the slippery slope. And guess what? Because we're talking about sexual sin, I don't want people who are married to say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Every single person is in scope and everything is in scope because people, whether you're, whether you're 16, 17, 18, or whether you're 75, you can fall into sexual sin. Whether you're single or you're married, you can fall into sexual sin. Whether you're single or you're dating or you're married or unmarried, you can fall into sexual sin. And it's the entire scope of sexual sin we're talking about. So it's not just, you know, single people who have sex outside of marriage. We're talking about married people who commit adultery. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about Anything that falls under that big header, that big bracket called sexual immorality in the Bible. This is relevant to everybody, to every single person. All right. One of the things about the world we live in today, um, I'm sure you've noticed this as well. This is not just me, is that we live in a world that's overly sexual. All right. Um, everything around you, everywhere you turn, you see something that indicates or points to sex. Um, they talk about things like sex sell. So you see a commercial about something that's a completely intelligent product, but somehow they find a way to introduce sex into the conversation because guess what? Sex sells. You go on social media, you realize that sex sells everywhere. You're bombarded. Your senses are being invaded by something that is either sexual in nature or, you know, either subtextually, all right, or overtly sexual in, 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 in nature. Somehow sex is introduced everywhere. You know, I remember a few, <laughs> a couple years ago, actually, must have been a couple years, almost a couple years ago now, it was, I was, it was a Friday and I was about leaving the office and, you know, some of my coworkers asked me, well, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, well, I'm really just going 
to you know Netflix and chill. And to be honest with you, I really had no idea that there was another meaning <laughs> to Netflix and chill. For me, it really just meant Netflix and put my feet up, um, like very literal chilling. But they started to laugh and I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, I didn't get it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty up to date on my slime, but I just didn't understand that there was some kind of sexual context um, in which that same phrase, Netflix and chill, was being used. Our, our society is overly sexualized, all right? Um, and, and because that's the case, we cannot shy away from those topics. If you're new here, by the way, don't run away from our church, all right? <laughs> this is a family, and one of the things we do in our house, and we say this and encourage this all the time, is that we get to speak truth. We get to speak truth without judgment, all right? Speak truth with grace but we have to deal with very practical issues. So for those people who are, you know, who want to know about this, who want to have a conversation around, you know, sexual sin, the topic for our conversation today is the slippery, the slippery slope. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 that let he that thinks he stands, let anyone who thinks that he stands, anyone who thinks that this can never happen to me, I'm good. You know what, pastor, I have self-control. You know what, I'm married, I'm happily married, pastor. You know what, guess what? No, the Lord anointed me. Uh, the Bible says, let him take heed lest he fall, lest he fall. So every kind of sexual sin, adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, um, kissing in the parking lot, pornography, homosexuality, everything is in scope. I will try to address the broad subject of sin um, today. Guess what? If David, you know, have to understand that the Bible says that God, God endorses David and says that I have found a man after my own heart. David was a man of God. David was a man of God, real man of God. He was anointed by God. He loved the Lord and everyone knew that David loved the Lord. He walked with God. He had, you know, he had dimensions in God that most people have never touched before. Just read the Psalms. You know that the guy really knew the Lord. However, he fell into sexual sin. All right. So sin is dangerous. A man who had everything, almost lost everything because of, because of sin. So let's start by saying this, that sin has consequences. One of the things that, or misconceptions people have about sin is that, oh, in the New Testament, God is just a loving God because he's a loving God and that the grace of Jesus has been given to everybody. You can live your life anyhow you want to live your life and it's all good with God. There's no consequences. That is not true. There is nothing further than, that is nothing further than the truth, all right? You have to understand that Jesus paid the price for the most damaging consequence of sin which is separation from God, eternal separation from God, but there are still consequences for, sin, for sins that we commit, all right? So the covenant remains intact, you're still a child of God, but there is consequences. Just like a child, of course, who does something wrong or you know, does something that the father or his mom does not approve of, all right? One of the things that happens, obviously, is that you don't say, well, I disown you, you're no longer my child, give me back my name. And that's what happens with God. God doesn't disown us because we fall into sin. However, never mistake the fact that God does not disown us to mean that he's pleased with it. He is not pleased with it. He's pleased with us, but he's not pleased with our actions. And just as you would do with a child, sometimes you would chastise the child, you need to you know, introduce some kind of discipline because you need to prevent further occurrences from happening, all right? So sin is dangerous. Sin is dangerous. If you look at the life of David, all right, 2 Samuel chapter number 11, where we read, if you read chapter 12, you would see very graphic the consequence of his sins. God says to him, because you have done this wickedness, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, you start from around verse number nine, thereabout. He says that the sword would never depart from your house. You would always fight battles. That's the consequence of your actions, David. 
He says, not only that, but someone else is going to sleep with your wives in the view of all of Israel. Your, your wives are going to be, you know, you know, are going to be slept. Someone's going to have sex with your wives in the view of all of Israel. All right. He says that I will raise a rebellion from your own house against you. And even the child that Bathsheba was, was, was pregnant with was actually going to die. So there were consequences for his sins, but God does not disown us because we have committed sin, all right? So let me tell you some of the dangers of sin that I can talk about before I get into the practical aspect. One of the dangers of sin is this, at least from my point of view, is the fact that sin does not respect boundaries. What do I mean by that? Sin does not respect boundaries. Please write that down and please remember this. I mean that when you give sin an inch, it takes a mile. You cannot tell sin, well, I'm just going to allow you come into my life this much. That's all. And right after that, I'm good. That's enough. No, no, no. When sin comes or when you give sin a chance in your life, it invades your entire life. All right. It starts out as an inch, but it takes a mile. This reminds me of my, of my, of my, my son, my, my young son. All right. You tell him, hey, sit down here. Okay. Make sure you don't stand up. This right here, this chair is where I want to meet you when I come back. And he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He nods his head like affirmative, like he is very, very convincing. The moment you step away, he jumps off the chair and he's gone, you know, in another direction. And that just makes me understand that you cannot tell sin, yeah, this is it. Um, I'm only going to let you in. I'm just going to commit a little bit of sin. No, sin does not respect boundaries. Sin rolls with a crew. Rolls with a crew, all right? Um, it's, it, it, sin is like a rapper, all right? There's an entourage. So if you start out, and if you look at what happened to David, all right, just think about what happened to David. He saw a woman who was taking a bath. And so the first sin there was lost, all right? He lost it after that woman that he saw. The next thing that happened was that became covetousness very easily because he found out that she was the wife of somebody else, but he wanted her for himself. And next thing, he went and took her and he raped her. By the way, people say, well, the Bible doesn't say he raped her. Well, he did because he was the king. You have to understand that. And I digress, but I stay on topic. Let me talk about things like sexual assault in society today and all that. Um, you have to understand and weigh the imbalance of power between the two parties involved. So you say, well, it was consensual. Well, but he is the CEO of a massive company. She's just... Uh, a janitor in the company, the power dynamics sometimes make it sexual assault. All right. So while it was consensual, there is such a power dynamic. There's a power play at work there that changes the way that situation is addressed. So look at a man like David. David was the king, answered to nobody but to God. So if he called Bathsheba and said, hey, hey, let's, you know, let's do it. <laughs> there was no issue of consent. You know, she couldn't say no. So in my mind, he raped her. He took her forcefully, all right, against her will, against her husband's will, obviously. That became adultery. So lost covetousness. Think about rape. Think about adultery. Then it became lying because he started con you know, con conceiving a plan as to how he was going to cover up his actions. His plan was so devious that he, he, want, he intended to let Uriah raise a child that was not his, all right, thinking that it was his child. He wanted Uriah to come home, sleep with his wife, so he would think that he's the father of the child and the secret would never come out. You know, just imagine how hurtful such a thing is. All right, think about the lies, the conspiracy, the betrayal, because Uriah turned out to be a very loyal servant, as a matter of fact. Then conspiracy to commit murder, then he actually kills the guy, sends Uriah with a letter. <laughs> he bears a letter in his hands 
carrying his own death sentence. Deceit, greed. Think about just how many sins David committed right there. The thing I'm trying to say to you is that sin rose in an entourage. So you can't say, well, we're just going to do a little bit of kissing today. Well, it's going to become something else. And that becomes something else. And that becomes something else. And it becomes could become a pregnancy and it could become an abortion and then it becomes lies and lies and it's just a web that never ends. So sin is dangerous because it is a slippery slope. It literally is a slippery slope. Once you start falling down that hill, that muddy hill, you're going to get dirty all the way. You're going to slide all the way down. It's difficult for you to stop and catch yourself in the middle. Once you set a chain, okay, in motion, when you set that chain of actions in motion, it is difficult for you to stop. Sin is an invader. It's an invader. It does not respect boundaries. You cannot say here this much and no further. No, it goes further until it has destroyed the person. So if you open your door to just one sin, it leads to many more. It's a slippery slope. Hence our topic, slippery slope. All right. The second thing about sin is that sin costs so much. It costs too much. And I cannot count all the costs of sin, but I can tell you one of the costs of sin that is valuable is fellowship. Because when you sin against God, all right, while God's arms are always open to you, it breaks your fellowship with God. All right. It's just like between parents and kids. When, when a child has done something naughty, your, your dad, your mom, you still love the child. But in that moment, the child retreats and gets quiet, you know, and starts to avoid for a minute because they know that they have done something wrong. So it breaks fellowship. With God. And this is a problem. This is a problem because fellowship is the source of life in the spirit. Fellowship is the source of life in the spirit. So think about this. When, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, all right, he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights. You find this in Matthew and you find this in Luke as well. The Bible says that Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That tells me what Jesus is saying, that you and I were not created to live by bread alone, that there is another source of nourishment to us, not to our bodies, but to our spirits, to our souls, that is the word of God that proceeds. So when sin breaks fellowship, you're denying yourself access to that other aspect. Jesus says, look, you were never designed to live by bread alone. You were designed to live by bread, and something else. And that something else is the word of God. And once you start to, you know, engage in a life of sin, and I know you've been there because I've been there, your fellowship with God starts to struggle, not because God doesn't love you, but because you're dealing with the weight. The Bible says that sin is a weight. You're dealing with the weight of the sin, and therefore it breaks your fellowship with God, which is in itself a dangerous thing. Can we go to the text and let's talk about what happened in, in the case of David. Second Samuel 11 and verse 2, the Bible says is that it happened one evening. One evening it happened, David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. He saw, he saw. Let's stay right there. He saw a woman who was bathing. So David saw something. Now, <laughs> the entryways or the doorways to sin are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. First John chapter 2 and verse 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In this case, it was the lust of the eyes. David saw something that looked good to him. And as he internalized what he saw, it very quickly became the lust of the flesh. After he had committed the, the first sin, 
of course, of adultery. Then he became pride of life. He tried to cover everything up. So you need to be careful what you see because what you see affects your desires. And this is where we need to get very real about the conversation in our generation because everywhere you turn, really, it's in your face, all right? It, it's, 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 it's on social media, whether you're looking or you're not looking, you will see something that, you know, in some instances, you might, your mind wants to dwell on or you want to pay a second visit to. All right. And like David did, when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, he could have just seen it and just said, hey, no, I'm not going to see this. But the Bible says he thought about it and then he asked questions. Who is she? Bring her to me. He acted out on the lost, the desire that was already in his heart and that led him down that slippery slope. He saw something. You need to guard your eyes. You need to guard what you see because the things you see repeatedly create a desire in you. All right. If you start to look at a particular car and you look at it very well and you keep looking at it and you keep looking at it. And every time you go on the Internet and you're looking at this particular car, you're looking at all the features. All of a sudden, you're going to start to desire that car. If you watch pornography, you're going to desire to do you're, you're, you're going to create an appetite in you that was not there before. If you expose yourself to certain things that you're not meant to expose yourself to, you're going to create an, an appetite in yourself that was never meant to be there that was never there before. There are two ways that you win against sin. General ways, broad ways. The first way is to win without fighting. You win without fighting. And this is a preventive way of winning over sin. And this is the, this is the best way to win over sin, okay? This is, this, is, this is a strategy where you don't even get to the place of being tempted because you are able to avoid. That's the key word. You win without fighting by avoiding. And the only way you do this is by guardrails, protective, you know, putting protective measures in place to make sure that as much as possible, you don't fall into temptation. All right. And by foreseeing and avoiding evil. I'll say that again. You win without fighting. Okay. By avoiding. You get into, you don't, you don't even create the opportunity for you to fall into those situations. So there is no issue of temptation. There's no issue of you having to decide because you have avoided. The Bible says that a wise man foresees evil and he hides himself, hides himself. It is best to deal with sin before temptation arises. It's best to avoid completely. That's why the Bible says, lead us not into temptation. One of the ways you do this and stay with me. One of the ways you do this to win without fighting, all right, is to sow to the spirit. So what do I mean? The Bible says in Galatians chapter six, from verse seven, that do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. It says for whosoever sows to his flesh would reap of the flesh corruption. He that sows to his spirit shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. Let's not go. Then it goes on to say, let's not grow weary in doing good. All right, because if you continue and do not faint, you shall reap a harvest. So it, it goes on to take the good and says, if you continue to reap, I mean, to sow, you will reap. But don't forget what he says. He says that if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That tells me that it's very possible. And I think this is where a lot of us have to be very careful for you to sow to the flesh. You expose yourself repeatedly 
repeatedly to certain things that will in the future create a harvest of the flesh. So you continue to pump up your flesh, you expose yourself to certain things, maybe you watch pornography, you're in the wrong setting, you listen to the wrong music, you watch the wrong shows and all that stuff. You're hanging around the wrong people, you are sowing to the flesh. And because you sow to the flesh, you are building up in yourself a desire that will one day require you to cash in, that would one day come up, that would one day creep up somewhere. And you're wondering, why do I feel the urges I feel? It's because you have sown to the flesh. God is not mocked. The Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. So for you to, for you to have this, you know, for you to win without fighting, you have, one of the keys there, you have to be honest with yourself. Be honest about your weaknesses. Be honest about your areas of weakness because the enemy will not tempt you in the areas of your strength. He will tempt you mostly in the areas of your weakness. Be honest about it. If you like light-skinned girls, well, don't invite light-skinned girls to your room to pray, okay? Because you know that prayer is going to turn into something else. Be honest with yourself. Look, Christianity does not mean that your feelings go away. It does not mean that blood stops flowing in your veins. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, God will not take your desires away. Because if God took your desires away, then your life is not worship. One of the reasons why your life is worship is because you have the desires and you suppress it because you want to please God. That's when your life becomes a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, because this is your reasonable service. Be honest with yourself about your weaknesses. If you like guys that, that, you know, that have waves, as soon as you see a guy that, that has waves, you run away from that dude. If you like thugs, stay out of the hood. I just like him because he's a thug. Stay away from the hood, okay? Be honest with yourself about your weaknesses so that you can avoid. The first way to win over sin is to win without fighting. You win without fighting by having guardrails, by foreseeing evil, and you hide yourself. Most times when we fall into sin, especially sexual sin, by the way, which is the main topic today. We're talking about sin in general, but focus on sexual sin. It's not a surprise. It's rare that you fall into sexual sin and you're like, oh, I'm so shocked that happened. No, no, no. Most times you know that you're creating an environment or you're heading somewhere that's going to put you in a compromising situation. Well, guess what? Avoid. If you want to please God, that is. If you're in that place of tension where the things you want to do, you cannot do, and you really want to please God, avoid. Avoid. The second way you win over sin, of course, is victory over the temptation, where you, for any reason, number of reasons you were not able to avoid, actually find yourself in a situation where you are being tempted. And Jesus found himself there. And I think every single, body, every single one of us watching, everybody would find ourselves in those situations. <laughs> victory over the temptation. And how you gain victory over the temptation is one, accountability. If you have no accountability in your life, you're not likely to be able to lead an upright and an upstanding Christian life. Account you see, David had no accountability. That's it. He found himself in temptation. So there was no way to really avoid the situation. He probably did not expect to see, let's assume, benefit of the doubt, that he did not expect to see a beautiful lady taking a bath outside. So he just came out and bam, there she was. He saw something that he was not planning to see. So he couldn't avoid. So the temptation is right there. It's there already. But he could have overcome that temptation if he had accountability. David literally sends people to go call someone else's wife so he can sleep with her. He was next to God. No one in his life could tell him, no, this is not right. You can't do this. There was no one he could put up his hands and say, hey, I'm having a bit of a weak moment here. Can you help me? 
Can you hold me accountable? Can you hold me accountable? When you get to the place of temptation, you need accountability. Someone, people in your life that you can be accountable to except God. Because sometimes also, because God is spirit, we don't see God physically. You think that God doesn't see you. Well, God sees everything. So accountability is important. David had none. It's a dangerous thing to be king, guys. It's a dangerous thing when no one can talk to you, when no one can call you and put you in order. That's a dangerous place to be. When you're Lord of your own life, that's a dangerous place to be. Accountability. The second reason is because David lacked the strength of spirit. And I want you to stay here for a second because this is important. Look, when you read the Bible, there is nothing that suggests that David was just a guy who went around committing sin and he didn't like, he didn't, he didn't, he was just, you know, a wayward dude. No, he wasn't. He wasn't that kind of guy. David was a guy who wanted to please God. David was a guy who pleased God. David was a guy who had overcome many temptations to commit sin. And God actually said, this is a guy who loves me. He's a guy after my own heart. He is special like none in his day. So David had a track record. This is where it's dangerous of overcoming temptation. One that comes to mind is when he had an opportunity to kill Saul. All right. And, and his entire you know, the, the, you know, his, his, his boys, his, um, his army had said to him, God has given this opportunity to you. Kill him right now. Everything in David wanted to kill Saul, but he was able to win that particular case. He was able to win over that temptation. But when he got to the case of Bathsheba, he was not able to win. That tells me something that when he confronted the previous temptation against Saul, he had the strength of spirit to win. However, when he came into the situation with Bathsheba, he did not have the strength of spirit to win. So therefore, just because you were strong in spirit last week, does not mean you're going to be strong in spirit this week. The Bible says that if you faint, Proverbs verse 20, chapter 24 and verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. That phrase, the day of adversity, can mean any number of things. It can mean a day of spiritual attack. It can mean a day of sickness because the Bible says that the man's spirit shall sustain him in infirmity. Okay, it can mean that. It can mean a day where there's a conflict of wheels between your will and God. And I think I thought about that before sometime last year. But it can also mean the day of temptation. The day of temptation is a day of adversity. And if you faint, if you fall, if you give in, the reason why is because your strength was small. The strength of your spirit was small. The, the strength of your flesh overpowered the strength of your spirit. That's what happened to David, is that he was not able to deny his flesh because his spirit in that season was weak. So while your spirit was strong last week and last year, and you say, oh, well, four years ago, I had a very strong spirit. But well, guess what? That's the reason why we have this on and off relationship with sin. Why some days you're able to say no, and some days you're the one who's actually out looking for it. While one day you're able to say, no, this is not me. I'm a child of God. Come on, get thee behind me, Satan. And the next day you're like, can you please find me exactly that which you rebuked the day before or two weeks ago? All right. It's because there is no consistency. There is no, you know, the regimen that gives, that makes for a constant or a consistent, you know, life in the spirit is lacking. Don't ever assume that because you have strength in the spirit or you had, you overcame a temptation last week that you're going to overcome the same exact temptation this week. It's the, as a matter of fact, strength wanes. That's what I'm trying to tell you. 
strength wins, just like your physical strength. You live, maybe you wake up in the morning, you're strong, you're healthy, you're vibrant, remember that. You have a hard day's work, maybe you do a bit of heavy lifting that day, you've done a bit work around the house. By the evening time, your strength is not the same as what it was in the morning. So you need to subject yourself to a regimen or routine that helps you to rebuild strength. Same thing in the spirit. Your strength of your spirit wanes. So some days you're strong, some days you're not so strong. Some days you're able to please God, some days you're not able to please God. And that's the reason why we have this peak and valleys, this on and off relationship with God and with sin is because we don't maintain the consistency, the levelness, you know, in terms of the strength of our spirit. And that was exactly the undoing of David. How do you build strength of spirit? <laughs> One of the things you need to do, obviously, when you're trying to build physical strength is that you need to eat right. Um, now, if you're trying to build muscle, there's a way you eat. Okay, it's not just what you eat, it's also how you eat. Um, so you can't just go around snacking and expect to build muscles, for example. You, that's not gonna work. And some of us, what we do with God's word is that we're snacking. We open our Bibles in the morning, Oh, it's been four days since I last opened the Bible. Let's, let me read something. You just pick up a chapter and you just read something and you say, hallelujah, I'm so blessed. That, that really blessed me. That's called snacking. All right, you're browsing on social media. You find a sermon highlight that's about three minutes long on Instagram. And you're like, whoo, what a word. That's called snacking. All right, snacking does not help you build strength. Snacking just sustains you. Just sustains you. It doesn't help you build strength. For you to build muscle physically, there has to be a particular kind of diet you, ex you expose yourself to and how you eat is also different, all right? So you have to really study the word. You wanna build strength in the spirit? You have to study the word because the Bible says, Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone. So your physical body needs bread, but guess what? Your spirit needs the word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the rema of God. The Rema, if you want to have spiritual strength, you must expose yourself to God's word. You must be obsessed with the word of God. Um, like crazy. Look, I mean, I preach and, and the privilege to do that and all that. But even before I became a preacher, I obsessively listen to God's word. Like I'm going, doing things around the house. Like I said, sometimes I just plug my ears and I'm just playing my audio Bible. Just letting that enter, sink into my spirit. I listen to sermons, multiple sermons. I don't list, I don't read the Bible to preach. All right. One of the things God has blessed me with, this is a gift. So I can pick up a chapter of the Bible, read it, and I can get four or five sermons um, from it. And my, my concern is really what to preach and what then what not to preach. But my consumption and the kind of consumption I have, the rate of consumption I have is because I'm trying to build strength. Because if you faint in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. It's because your strength is small. And I don't want to faint in the day of adversity, okay? Because sin is costly. It costs you fellowship, all right? It costs you fellowship and it has consequences. So eat right. Be in God's word, all right? Have a regimented approach to how you eat God's word and meditate on it. Not just study, study and meditate. Study and meditate. Once the rhema of God's word comes into your soul, it strengthens you, all right? The Bible says that, you know, the spirit entered into me as he spoke unto me, all right? And he set me on my feet, all right? You, you, your spirit gets strong when you eat, right? Another thing you need to do is you need to exercise your spirit. You exercise your spirit by praying, by praying, um, by engaging in spiritual exercises, by praying, by praying. You exercise your spirit, your spirit gets stronger. And of course, by fellowship. When you spend time in God's presence, the Bible says they go from strength to strength, 
every one of them as they appear before God in Zion. Every time you spend time with God in fellowship, maybe in worship, you know, maybe just in his presence, there is an exchange there. And you go from strength to strength every time that you appear before God. Every day you go before God and say, oh God, I've come again. I just want to give you glory. I want to worship you. The Bible says you go from strength to strength so that that way you continue to sow to your spirit so that your spirit is ready for the day of adversity. So I said, eat right. I said, exercise. And I said, fellowship. All right. Someone is asking, pastor, this is easier said than done. Like, look, I have real desires. Like these hormones are real. Um, (laughs) And I feel you. And I said to you earlier that God will not take away the desires because once he takes away the desires, then it's not worship because you have no choice. As a matter of fact, you have to understand that the highest form of worship you can give to God is a life of obedience and a life of purity. It's not the song we sing and the crying tears. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. That's, that's good as well. That's worship offered to God in songs. But your primary worship is your lifestyle. That's your primary worship. Your primary mode of worship, as a matter of fact, when you come before God's presence and you say, oh, this is me again, there is an aroma of honor that comes up to God based on the life that you lived, not just because of the song that you sing. It's a life of worship. God will not take the desires away, okay? It's not worship when you have no choice, all right? But let me tell you something. One of the reasons why we are not able or we struggle, I would say, to say no, especially to sexual sin, because I find that that has a stronger grip on most Christians, is because we are not fully aware of the consequences. So let me give you an example, okay? A bit of an extreme example. If you were to, if you decided in your heart, maybe you are in the moment, you're just about to, on the threshold, all right, you're just about to fall into sexual sin. Maybe you're hanging out with someone and, you know, things start to get hot and heavy, all right? For the sake of analogy here. And all of a sudden you get a text message and that text message informs you that, oh, by the way, this dude, um, you know, he actually has an STD, just FYI, you know, just, 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 just FYI. Now, it doesn't matter how much your hormones are raging in that moment. You immediately weigh the consequences. As a matter of fact, you walk away as quickly as possible because the consequences have become apparent to you. It has become clearer to you. And so for us, most times, we need to understand what are the consequences of my actions? Do I really want to break fellowship with God for this, you know, little adventure, for this, this, this little engagement? Is that enough for me to risk my fellowship with God? Is it really enough for me? to pay the price that is to come with the actions I'm about to take because there are consequences. People say, well, there are no consequences. I promise you <laughs> that there are consequences. There is, there is a level. So, you know, my mentor used to tell me certain things. He would say something like, God loves all of us, but God cannot use all of us. Yeah, there is, a, there is a level in which God can use you based on the purity of your life. And I'm not preaching this from a holier than thou place. I'm not saying that no one ever, you know, if you ever fall into sin, then you're condemned by God. None of that at all. As a matter of fact, like I said, he's still your father. His arms are still wide open. All right. But his expectation is that we live a life that's pleasing to him. That would always be his expectation. And the Bible says that a broken heart, a contrite spirit that the Lord will not despise. The Lord will not despise. So for everybody, young, old, married, single, think about every category of sexual sin that exists because David was a man after God's heart and he fell. And this was almost the undoing of his life. He paid a huge price 
for the sin that he committed. Because like I said, he didn't commit one sin, he committed a ton of sins. I could count as much as eight or nine just by myself, all right, that he committed as a result of one thing. Because sin rules like a rapper, all right, with an entourage at every given point. It's not just one. Sin opens the door wide so that all its ugly cousins can come in as well. And once that happens, you break fellowship and that has other consequences down the line. Never forget the consequences. So let me read to you what the Bible says. I read two scriptures to you and then we'll pray. Romans chapter 6 from verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. NLT. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. That's good news for someone. Sin is no longer your master. One of the things that happens when you give your heart to Jesus is that God actually gives you the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is that he begins to strengthen your inner man. So that's why the Bible can say that sin will no longer be your master. Another translation says that sin will not have dominion over you. So you have dominion over sin. You are the master over sin. It says, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That was Romans 6 from verse 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians, another, another, another scripture, chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. As a matter of fact, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10 um, says that, let he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, okay? But it says in verse 12, 13 that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is a faithful God who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he would also make a way of escape <laughs> that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear with every single temptation, the Bible says that he would make a way of escape for you. God would always make a way of escape for you. So I want you, I want you to have a, an honest conversation with yourself. What are my issues? Where am I struggling? Because the Bible says all that happened was that David saw. That, that was the beginning of, of, of the end for him. He saw a woman, the lust of the eyes, all right? He internalized that, processed that, and it led to a series of events and a chain of events that he wasn't very proud of. So be careful what you see. Make sure that you strengthen your spirit. If you sow to the spirit, if you remember nothing, remember this. If you sow to the spirit, all right, you would reap spiritual things. There is a way for you to train your body and yourself to only desire spiritual things. Well, not only, but mostly desire spiritual things. If you constantly feed yourself on God's word, you would find out that your cravings are spiritual things. Like, you know, that some, season, some seasons of my life that I had pumped myself up with God's word so much that if I ever, even till today, if I ever go one day, just one day, without listening to at least one sermon, I, I don't feel right. It's a craving I have now, but it didn't start out that way. I was sowing to my spirit repeatedly, continually. And as I continued to sow to my spirit, I started to rip. So I, I re-engineered, I rewired myself, okay? Retrained my body to desire the things that, of the spirit more than the things of the flesh, all right? And this is a constant thing. You, Like I said, you never arrive because you only arrive when you see Jesus. Um, like David could never have said, well, I won, I won over sin last week. So I'm going to be good for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. 
It's a constant thing. You can train yourself that the primary desires you have are not those sexual thoughts and all those um, those desires that you've, because somehow you've, those desires have been fed. That's why. So whatever the man sows, that's what he reaps. So when you see what you're reaping in your life, you need to think about what you have sown in your life. And if you can re, re, if you can adjust what you're sowing into your life today, then you can influence your future tomorrow. My prayer for you is that the strength of spirit that you need to be able to please God, that God gives it to you in this season, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It is imperative, all right, that we have these conversations. And these are open conversations we've had in our house before, you know, when we gather together, just to talk about how do we practically win over sin. You can avoid the battle altogether, win without fighting. Be honest, <laughs> all right? Avoid, see evil and avoid it. Don't hang around in places that you know will only get you in trouble. You know, don't act surprised like, OMG, I can't believe that just happened. What else was gonna happen? You knew that was gonna happen, right? Let's, let's avoid those situations. And of course, when you get into situations of temptation, have accountability. Speak to someone. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Speak to someone who you trust and say, I'm struggling in this area. I, I, I need a bit, you know, I need you to hold me accountable. And of course, build strength in your spirit. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.